Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're talking about gestational carriers and cancer. Our guest to help guide us in this conversation is Dr. Beth Rakow. Dr. Rakow is an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the Columbia University Irving Medical Center and is also the director of pediatric and adolescent gynecology. Dr. Rakow, thank you so much for being with us on ASRM today. Thank you so much for having me today. So I want to lead off by asking you, you know, what, and I ask guests, this is especially first time guests on the show, because I, I try to get a feeling for how, you know, how they came to their field or, or their specialties or, or their passions in, in, in the medical world. So, so what is it, what, what's it about oncofertility that, that interests you so much? With expertise in reproductive endocrinology and infertility, I think there is such a wide range of patients who we take care of. And there are individuals who need our help for different reasons. And I think for some of the women who need us at the most pressing and challenging and heart-wrenching of times are individuals, both adolescents as well as adult women who have been either faced with a new diagnosis of cancer and urgently need to think about also their future fertility and future reproduction at the same time. Some women who are recovering from a diagnosis and management of cancer who also at that time need to really think about what this means for their future. So I think as as someone's life is thrown into a tailspin, we can be there at a really unique moment in someone's life to try to help them as they think about their future. And so this has been, been a, a patient population that I think is very special to me for a number of reasons. And I take care of uh, many adolescents wh- who have a new or past diagnosis of cancer who need help, um, as well as adult women. Yes, I was, I was talking with some doctors from Vanderbilt, and we were talking about adolescent gynecology, oncofertility, and dealing with that and in, in the unfortunateness of, in a lot of states, there isn't coverage for it, which is sort of, I mean, 2021, 2022, it's kind of kind of mind-blowing. But I, I want to ask you then, what are some barriers other than, than the obvious elephant in the room is the insurance? You know, what, what are some barriers that keep people from using gametes later on? So in, in terms of barriers that may affect people using gametes in the future, uh, number one, I think it's life circumstance. I mean, not knowing where someone's going to be in their life. I think probably even more pressing could be health. And that depending on the individual's health at that time, that may truly influence their ability to use the gametes um, that they have cryopreserved. Unfortunately, you know, we hate to think that um, the cost of the process gets in the way. And there are some states that have been very forward thinking about oncofertility and mandate that coverage is there both for um, fertility preservation, as well as ideally down the road, use of cryopreserved gametes. But we know that the financial side can be a significant barrier for some individuals. Why then might someone then use a gestational carrier then after fertility preservation? Because based on a lot of things that I was reading leading up to this interview, that the gestational carrier comes much later as an option in the process. I was wondering if you could speak to that. So many women who are adolescents or women who are coming to us 
to cryopreserve either oocytes or embryos, they might not know what the future holds. And for those who are dealing with cancer and cancer treatment, it is possible that the effects of their cancer treatment, particularly if they have cancer that affects their pelvis, that may affect the health of their uterus, or if their cancer treatment may affect their health in other ways, those women for medical reasons might not be able to carry in the future. And this is above and beyond just gynecologic cancers that could potentially affect pelvic organs, including the uterus. We know that some chemotherapies could be toxic to the heart. And thus, if someone has impaired heart function, they may not be healthy enough to carry a pregnancy down the road. So for many women, you know, again, depending on their diagnosis and what their treatment plan is, for many women who are coming through to cryopreserve eggs or embryos, they may not know if they will have a need for a gestational carrier in the future. Well, is there, is there, is there a specific time limit on, on cryopreserved materials? It's, you know, again, my understanding, and this is not my, my, my first field, but based on what I'm reading is like, it's, they, they've done, you know, uh, materials 20 plus years old uh, and it's, it's been very successful. We've been cryopreserving sperm and embryos for many, many decades and eggs for not quite as long, but also a very long time. And from everything we know that there, there really is no time limit on the cryopreservation of eggs, sperm, and embryos. And we're also cryopreserving gonadal tissue these days. And, you know, there's a great understanding as to how to do this. And then for a lot of these individuals, they, especially the young women, they may not be coming back to use these tissues for many years, if not decades. And going back to the subject of gestational carriers and, the, and, and all of this and this fertility preservation having to do more, you know, specifically with, with cancer, who, who are the good candidates you know, to do this? How is that viewed? Like, what's the process? In terms of who's a, a good candidate for a gestational carrier, particularly in the oncofertility world, women who you know, technically are not allowed to carry a pregnancy based on their health, usually related to their cancer history, related to the ongoing medical therapy that they may be on, potentially based on some of the residual effects of cancer treatment. But these are ideally women who have cryopreserved eggs and or embryos beforehand and don't have to go through those steps prior to needing to use a gestational carrier. For all these women, it really requires a lot, a team-based approach both conversations with their oncologist, um, unfortunately about the difficult conversation regarding you know, next steps and prognosis and, and where they see things going for them, conversations with their infertility specialist about what they may have stored and how to use eggs and or embryos. And then you know, the involved search for a gestational carrier, whether there's someone in, their, in the individual's world who is willing to step up and um, perform the service for them or whether someone actually needs to go through an agency um, or other venues and identify a gestational carrier. I think it is an option for many women who need it for a whole variety of, of medical reasons. I'm speaking today with Dr. Beth Rackow. We're talking about gestational carriers and cancer. It's, it's uh, Fertility Preservation Month. Uh, here on ASRM uh, today, Dr. Rackow, I, I I know you're extremely busy, and and um, we're almost out of time. So I'm gonna I have just one more question for you today. Are there any 
developments in obstetrics and, and gynecology and even in your your real passions about it. Is there anything on on the horizon that 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 you could share with with colleagues here as far as is there is there new treatments or there new you know procedures any anything worth 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 getting into for maybe for 2022? I think one of the most important things out there in the in the world of oncofertility and use, using use of a gestational carrier isn't necessarily on the medical side but is on the public policy side and the side of um, insurance carriers. Recently, this past year, in 2020, New York State finally made gestational carriers a legal process for women to be compensated to serve as a gestational carrier. And there are still states out there where it is not a, a process that is considered legal and allowed within the state. And so I think having hopefully a more national standard for the use of gestational carriers is important. Additionally, trying to work with insurance carriers to, th- to think about helping provide some coverage for this process. It is prohibitively expensive. And for women who are dealing with a recent diagnosis of cancer, ongoing cancer management, who might have tremendous costs in their, in their world, to then bear the burden for, for the use of a gestational carrier pours salt in someone's wounds at minimum, and can be a very, very challenging, you know, additional burden to bear. So I think, I think those are some of the venues that would really be sort of the next steps in terms of making this available. You know, something that I don't talk about very often is this is an important part of my history. I was diagnosed with cancer close to six years ago, and it's, it's been quite a road. And in fact, it was picked up during infertility treatment I was, as I was trying to get pregnant with my husband. And based on the type of cancer I had, I like to say had because I'm in remission for two years and location and the, and the therapy I needed to be on, um, I was informed that really carrying a, carrying a child was not feasible um, or it was going to take a number of years for me to even consider, you know, for me to be considered and declared by my, um, my oncology team. And so I needed to use a gestational carrier to have my son and it was an amazing and remarkable experience that had lots of ups and downs and lots of challenges. And we're fortunate that, that it was something we could afford. And I'm fortunate to be in the know and to be able to use my own knowledge um, to guide myself and to have friends who could take care of my husband and I, as we tried to have a family, but it's probably the one highlight of having been diagnosed with cancer is to walk away with my son. And it's hard to not get emotional when I think about you know, the, the path that we've had. But I only wish it was available to more women um, and to more women who have to go through this. And I think the more we can work on helping people understand the need and trying to find ways to defray the cost um, and to make it more and more just like publicly acceptable that this is a very common way to help people build families. Um, I only wish I could do more in terms of advocacy. I guess sharing my story is is a good start. And we greatly appreciate you. Thank you so much for for sharing that with us. I, I know that's incredibly difficult. And and also here's to your two years, uh, you know yes. that. And and hopefully, as this episode is airing at the very end of 2021, a very happy and healthy new year to you and your family uh, as we turn the corner. Thank you. Very happy new year to you as well. Thank you. 
Dr. Beth Rackow, thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope we can have you back and have some other discussions in the future. I would love that. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, You can uh, rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your media from. Until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.